Vince and Helen have asked me to speak this morning about family and parenting. There was a parenting course yesterday morning here at the church, um, and I took one of the sessions, and Anta asked me to just to, to continue and speak a little bit more about family uh, this morning. And really, my, my desire is to affirm you as parents and to affirm families. Um, it's always lovely to have a dedication service, uh, especially when uh, the children are as cute as they were this morning. I think, like, some people just know how to play to the camera. Um, and uh, what a lovely family. It's, it's always wonderful to see a family put together, to see children come in, but there's also the realization of the massive responsibility that parents have uh, in raising children. And the challenge that there that is for Christian parents nowadays to, to raise their children according to Christian principles and Christian values. It's not that easy. Um, there's a strong emphasis in our society nowadays on the, on the rights and the needs of the individual. It's very, very focused. Um, I remember my wife, who's in, involved with, with uh, early years teaching, going along to a children's center and seeing a poster up which depicted a little boy throwing a massive strop. Um, and it, it basically said, that underneath it was all about the rights I have. Uh, I have the right to express myself. And, and it was almost, in, you know, yes you do, but it was depicted in a way I have the right to be demanding and, 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 and rude in the way that I do it. And while it's really important that we do emphasize the rights of the individual, because we don't want anyone discriminated against or being made vulnerable, it is sad sometimes when that encroaches on the value of the family and the rights of parents to, to be parents. And so it's necessary sometimes, I believe, to, to encourage parents and to encourage families. I thought as I was preparing back to an incident, I'm, I'm a school teacher, I'm involved with parents a lot, about a, a, a couple that came to me for some advice about their child. The lad at that stage was in year eight at our school. And at school, within the school environment, he was actually quite a fairly well-behaved lad, beyond a, a particular obsession he had with trying to cultivate something that looked a bit like a moustache. Um, he, 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 he was a But his parents came to see us and said that they had, for the first time, bearing in mind he was in year eight, begun to try and get him to do some things that they wanted him to do around the house and to conduct himself in a certain way within the family, and that he had come out in absolute and complete defiance against what they were hoping he would do. And when they had tried to um, insist that he did certain things and he had refused, they had told him he should go to his room and, and keep himself there, and he had proceeded to, to trash his room. He had destroyed his own stuff uh, and some of the furniture and so forth. And when they came to me, both parents burst into tears and, and, and said, what shall we do? And I began to talk to them about some very basic aspects of parenting, about boundaries and about expectations and so forth. And I'll, I'll never forget his mother looking at me with tear-stained eyes and saying, but am I allowed to insist that he does something? He's a human being and he has rights. Am I allowed to tell him he can't do something? And that's sadly where some perceptions have got to nowadays, that in acknowledging the rights of children and acknowledging the rights of various members of the family, it almost requires that we disempower the other members of the family from expecting anything with the family environment. And so I thought I'd just talk today a little bit to try and encourage parents and to encourage all of us within family. There is another kind of tendency nowadays to, to 
to treat marriage as a, as a, as a quaint and, and nice tradition. It's, it's a tradition. It's something which people have done for years, and therefore its value lies in tradition. And if you aren't a traditional kind of person, then you can reject the concept of family and of marriage uh, because it's just something that people used to do and, and don't need to do anymore. I want to, to refer to a fair amount of scripture this morning in a very basic way. And I want to say to you that I believe, as I'm sure many of you do, that God established family as a unit and as, as something which is of value to Him and something which is good for us. He established it as a place of support, of intimacy, and of learning so that mankind could flourish and as he gave that first instruction, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and have dominion over the earth and fulfill the purposes that God has placed for us. And in a very straightforward way, that's evidenced by us in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. Reading from there, it says, So the man gave names to all the livestock, this is back in the Garden of Eden, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Then it says this, And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the indication of God's plan was that a marriage would be a support unit. It would be put together permanently for both people to function better. It would be completing and complementing one another and providing that ongoing intimate and committed support which we need to be the kind of people in our effectivity and in our, in our lifestyle that God would like us to be. It's something that he instituted right at the very beginning, which I would say indicates that he thought it was important. In some translations it says that the Lord said it was not good for Adam to be alone. And I want to remind you that if, if you look at the whole creation story and you look at God's relationship with mankind, God created mankind out of a desire for fellowship, out of a desire for someone to choose to love him. And he's created us with that desire in our lives to share and to be supported and to support. And so God puts this marriage together. He puts this couple together as an example for future couples of a support unit that we have to go through this world and meet all the challenges. And then he adds to it. He adds children. And I want just to, to remind you that our children are a blessing. They are sometimes slow in wanting to show us that. Um, there are those moments when we struggle. But they are a blessing. They're given as a, as, as a blessing to us. In Psalm 127 and verses 3 to 5, it says, As children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Our children are intended to enrich our lives and be a blessing, and we are intended to enrich their lives and be a blessing, and they complete a family unit which becomes our fortress, our place from which we can operate, our place of strength, our place of stimulation, our place of rejoicing, and our place of fulfillment, from which, if we get it even slightly right, we can move from a place of strength to be effective people in society. 
my family or my safe place, they know things about me that you don't. And that's good. They know what I look like in the morning, in my gown on the way to the bathroom. It's a good thing that you don't see that. It would frighten the children. It's not a, it's not a good sight. Just by the way, just, I don't know why my mind flashed back to this. The ladies get to have a vintage tea. They're going to have eats and so forth. I get at my age to go somewhere and have a bunch of young men chase me with guns. I'm, I'm, I'm still working through that, Anson Helen. I'm, um, I don't move as fast as I used to. My family know my weaknesses. They know my, 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 my touch points. They know the things that, that I don't do well. They know the things that I'm embarrassed by. And yet they love me. That's my place of forgiveness, my place of restoration, my place of, of fulfillment. And that's what God has intended to be. It's in this place of support that we are able to nurture and support one another. It's a place of enjoying what each can bring and contribute. And there is some writing in the Bible about how we should conduct ourselves within family. And I'm going to read a passage of Scripture which contains some controversial bits, and I'm not going to get so much into the controversial bits this morning. But it talks about family's commitment to one another. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is Ephesians 5, starting from verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he's, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Be prepared to die for her. To make a holy cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their bodies, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And then it says, just reading on a little bit in Ephesians chapter 6, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There's an indication that everybody in a family has a role to play, and we each have obligations towards one another. It says we should submit to one another. A family is not at its most healthy where each person in that family thinks they are doing the others a favor by, by contributing to the family in whatever way they do. A marriage is not healthy if the husband and wife think they are doing each other a favor by loving each other. A family is not healthy where children are made to feel that their parents are doing them a favor by providing for their needs. And a family is also not in a really good place if the children feel that they have no contribution to make into the family and no, no obligation within the family to submit themselves as well into that family. Instead, when they do do something, they see it as a favor. It's meant to be something which flourishes because all of us contribute. When I got married, somebody gave me some advice. I wish I remember who it was. But they said to me, don't see your marriage as a beautiful gift, gift wrapped which you will get on the day that you get married, that you can unwrap 
and tear the paper off and open the box and in it are lots of good things for you which you can take out and use. That person said to me, rather consider your marriage to be like a cooking pot. You only really get out of it what you put into it. If you have a pot and you keep taking food out of it and you never put anything back into it, after a while it gets to be empty and there's nothing more for you to take out of it. If you keep filling it up and supplying it, and if everybody who takes out of it is supplying into it, it sustains and remains something which keeps going. And so is a marriage, and so is a family. It's at its strongest when everybody feels the, the desire and the responsibility to bring whatever their contribution is, and because they are putting into that family and into that marriage, there is something for everybody to take out of it. It's not wrong for us as parents to expect that our children contribute into the family. I, I sometimes get quite concerned when I see a, a parenting situation where the children are expected to do absolutely nothing and mum and dad just serve the children. Um, I have a lovely parent community at my school. I'm very, very blessed and, and, and rejoice to have them. But I sometimes see children that we have responding responsibly to us throughout the day, and at the end of the day, they walk out of the gate and mum picks them up or dad picks them up, and I hear them speak to their parents in a commanding, demanding, no please, no thank you kind of way, and I think, why do they have that perception that that's okay, that they're polite to me, but they're not polite to mum and dad? And, and I would urge you, in the same way that you respect your children, you have a right to have them respect you. And in the same way that you respect their needs and that your love respects their needs and wants to fulfill them, it is right that you expect that from them. I said something yesterday and I will repeat it to you. If you don't set boundaries for your children, other people will. Other people who don't love them as much as you do. Because in society there are expectations and boundaries and you can't just do your own thing. And if you don't start teaching your children that they need to be within those boundaries, and, and, and those can include just common manners and so forth, then somewhere along the way they're going to run into people who won't deal with them unless they do, and it's going to be a different kind of experience than you teaching them with love. If we don't expect anything from our children, we're going to send them into a society that does expect them from something, uh, something from them, and they'll be wholly unprepared for that. So mar marriage and family needs to be this giving and taking this place in which we grow. And also, it's intended to be a place of learning and growth for our children. Um, just a couple of quick scriptures there, and I'll come back to Deuteronomy. Uh, I think it's chapter 11. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and mind. God is teaching his people. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And there's an inference that our teaching of our children and our impartation to them should be part of everyday life, that we should constantly be teaching our children. We also read in Proverbs 22, verse 6, Start a child off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. There, the King James translation says, Train a child in the way that he should go. And if you look at the Greek, that's what it means train with discipline a child in the way she goes. There's this, ooh, we can't train our children, they're not animals. Well, no, they're not animals, but we need to teach and we need to train people to do things sometimes in, in a way that, that speaks into the need in their lives and does it with authority. In all of this, 
we need to look at Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. In the way that we work within our families, it needs to be governed by the example that Christ gave us. It says, in your relationships with one another, and that includes within family, but also within the job and wherever else you go in with society, it says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of the servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Within our family unit, if everybody has in their hearts the desire to serve the others, we will all be served. As I mentioned, it doesn't work when one part of the unit takes that as their right to be served and they feel no obligation to do anything in response. It becomes a bit of one-way traffic. But when we bring into our marriage and when we teach into our marriage and when we teach into our family with our children that need for us all to serve one another, we begin to build a cohesive unit in which things can really happen. And so I would urge you, if you have young children, teach them the need to serve and set the example for them of you serving them. And don't allow it to become one-sided. It's unbalanced if your children land up being slaves to you. It's also unbalanced if you land up being slaves to your children. As they grow, there's the need to impart to them the responsibilities that they need to take within the family. And you know, I want to get on to, to talking a little bit about, about parenting and just some, some basic things. You get these stickers on motor cars around about Christmas time, a puppy is not just for Christmas. And I sometimes see families acting out in public and I think, why have you got children? When I hear the way people sometimes speak to their children, you know, it's, it's very interesting to me, um, and I don't want to get into this particular topic any depth, but if, if you were to spank your child in the aisle of a supermarket for misbehaving in this country, you would probably run foul of the law. Somebody would probably report you and you'd probably be uh, visited by children's services or by the police. But if you scream and shout at them and call them names and, and rip apart their self-worth by, by saying horrible things to them, um, people will turn away in embarrassment and leave you alone. And it, it's really, really sad when children aren't appreciated. Um, I said yesterday, and I'll say it again, you can get a child for free. Um, isn't it interesting? They're not even buy one, get one free. You can get them for free. But they should be the greatest investment you ever make in your life. They should be the most precious, valuable things you have in your life. And your life should be dedicated to making sure that they develop and grow in the way that they should do. And that will involve sacrifice on your side. Um, our involvement with our children, it's my very strong opinion, is intended to be, by God, active, directed. It's not intended to be passive, observational, with occasional intervention. Have you seen that kind of parenting? It's, it's kind of... Um, I think it stems from a, a perception that some people have that children come, a bit like your new iPhone, um, with most of what they need already installed. You just have to find a way to access it. And so, our job is not to teach them, it is just to hang around to create a safe environment in which they can discover the truth that's already installed inside them. Um, because somehow the good is there and will pop out of some stage. 
it sprang to mind as I was talking. My very first visit to, to the United Kingdom was at a time when I was playing with a band and we came to do a bit of a mini tour around the countryside. And we went to Wales. Now, I love Wales. Um, we go there on holiday every year. But we went and played at a, at a church in, in Newport, Ray Devon's church, and we had a great morning of ministry. And we decided quite romantically that we were just going to drive into the valleys and look for a, a pretty little village and have a, a, a lovely Sunday roast at a small, quaint pub somewhere in, in a picturesque village in South Wales. Um, but we got lost. And we didn't know where we were going, and so we landed up having a Big Mac in McDonald's at Merthyr Tiddle. Um, and, and I will not forget that there was a family sitting behind us who appeared to be following the observational with occasional intervention style of parenting because they had a five-year-old, I'm guessing, uh, the age, who was a menace to all around him. Um, just, just being very loud, very abusive, um, very vocal in his opinions about everything. And he, he topped off his performance by hurling the contents of his coat cup into the back of my head, along with several ice blocks that went with it. Along with this tendency sometimes to, to be observational and occasionally intervention, people take on the responsibility for protecting their children against the consequences of that. When I turned around to see what had happened, I was confronted by mother. Um, mother was fearsome. I'm not quite sure how to put this. She was um, fearfully made. And she had a fair amount of quite threatening body art, um, which included bits of metal and so forth. And, and when I turned around, because I... I, I prefer not to have coke all over the back of me when I'm eating my Big Mac in Merthyr Tidwell, I was met with a stream of abuse from the mother. The main gist of this being this, he's only little. He's only little. That means he's busy discovering that inner truth in himself, um, which is hardwired and he hasn't completely discovered the part about how to behave in McDonald's, so it doesn't really matter that he's poured his coke all over you. What sprang to mind when she said, I didn't say it because she was fearfully made. When she said to me, he's just little, I almost said, but you're not. Because the responsibility was hers, was it not? There's got to be a role in which we do intervene actively in the lives of our children. Our, our, our raising up of our children is not meant to be just catching them before they fall over the precipice. It's meant to be actively inculcating in them the values that they need. There's a lot that is instinctive in life. Um, children do have instincts. They, they, they breathe when they're born. And they have certain other actions which they will undertake which are help to protect them. We have a, we're told by, by, by um, the experts that we have a, a fight or flight mechanism that kicks in and it secretes adrenaline and so forth. And I'll never forget when my daughter was born. Any of you know something called the Agpar scale? Do they still use it? They used to check babies when they were born to see if everything was working. And one of them was they put the baby down on, on, a, on a, uh, a platform on a bed or something, and then bang, on the side of the baby, and it's supposed to jump in a certain way. I almost punched the doctor when he did that, because he never warned me he was going to do it. It looked like he was assaulting my child. But there are certain things that we do instinctively as people, but we don't learn social behavior, we don't learn social inaction, interaction without being taught. That is something which we teach. We teach morals, we teach values, we teach those things. They don't come naturally. And therefore, we need to be actively involved. 
I think the other approach of being occasionally interventional is popular because it leaves the parents without, it absolves them almost from the responsibility. And you get parents saying, well, they just turned out that way. What can I do? Like the mother that turned her chest and eyes to me and said, am I allowed to stop my child trashing his room? Um, we learn, somebody used an example of me, and it's not entirely accurate, so please don't shred me when I, when, I, when I use it, but it is helpful. They said that we have a feeling, you know, if we just ask someone about how do we move into life, we would say we walk into life looking into the future and going boldly into life. Truth of the matter is, neither, not one of us here can see even two minutes into the future. We can estimate, we can, we can anticipate what's going to happen, we can work on past experience and say, because this is happening, this is what's probably going to happen. You're sitting there saying, he's probably going to stop within the next 10 or 15 minutes, and we're probably going to have some tea, and I may just go and have a, a, a Borovos roll, please do, um, and all these things, but you can't see the future. We could potentially be struck by some kind of a meteor in the next 30 seconds and all be obliterated. We don't know the future. We know about the future, and we, we estimate what's going to happen in the future by what's happened in the past. So in actual fact, we don't walk boldly into the future, we kind of walk backwards into the future, observing what we know, and from that, trying to guide ourselves in where we're going. You think about that. If I've walked my way for the last 58 and something years, along the way I've fallen into a couple of holes, I've backed into a couple of walls, I've bumped my head on some overhead pipes as I've gone along. But as I'm looking down this path of where I've been, my children are coming, walking backwards along with me, heading into the future. And I can see the holes where I've fallen in and I can say to them, a little bit to the right, otherwise you're going to fall into that hole. I'm talking about using experience to teach our children. We are not predominantly qualified to be parents by the genius of our intellect. We're qualified because of God's amazing grace and because of our experience and what we have learned. And we need to pass that experience on to our children. Actively. You would be a sad parent if walking backwards into your own problems, you saw your child about to fall in one and said, I don't really have the right to tell them that there's this great big hole they're going to fall into. They're an individual unique in their own right and they have the right to fall into their own hole. That would be politically correct, but it wouldn't be practical in having your child succeed in the way that you would want them to do. And so I want to encourage parents to be, to be bold. You have a responsibility. God has said to you, train them up in the way that they should go. He has said to you, teach these things to them when you get up and you lie down. It's an active process that involves sometimes conflicting with what they would prefer to do. And so, I want to look at that instruction. Children obey your parents and fathers and mothers don't exasperate your children. And I want to end with that. The, the scripture says that children should obey their parents and this is the first scripture with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land that your fathers, uh, that you will be given. And you know, you sometimes think, okay, is this some kind of a supernatural promise? Children are told, if you obey your parents, everything will supernaturally go well in your life. It's just like this promise means that every barrier will be broken, everything will be flattened. I don't personally think it means that. It means this. If your parents are doing their job right and you listen to them, you will be successful because you will do things right. You will live well and you will live right. 
children are encouraged to obey their parents because that is the safest place for them to be. Remember that the assumption here is that everybody in the family is doing their job right. Okay? We, we can talk in a little while about dysfunctional families, and we won't talk about it for long. I'm not an expert. But it's assuming if dad and mum are teaching you right, then you would do well to listen to them. That will protect you. That will set you up for life. In the times that I ignored my father's advice, there were many times when I went back to him with the broken bits of what I'd been attempting, and he said to me, well, I, I did say... And I said, yeah, but I didn't take that advice. So it says to children, obey your parents. That's the best place for you to be. But it says to parents, don't exasperate your children. In other words, quite simply, do the job well. Do the job well. Be committed to it. Learn. Take advice. Build on your areas of weakness. And that's, it's the most amazing thing. You, you have to to do so much to get a license to ride a motorbike. When I moved from South Africa to here, I, I somehow in the paperwork let my motorcycle license lapse. So when I wanted to get back onto a motorcycle, which is one of my pleasures in life, I had to retake my license. And I failed it. Been riding since I was 16 years old, and I failed it. I put my foot down in a, 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 a no-stopping area in a, in a, a roundabout. And I had to take it a second time. And before I could do that, I, I, was, I had to go and take some lessons to learn how to pass the exam to ride a motorcycle. It's not easy. You have to learn. But you can have a child. You can just have a child. And you can become responsible for their physical, emotional, spiritual, and social well-being. Just like that. I want to encourage you. Don't exasperate your children. Be good parents. Take the time. Take the efforts to examine what it requires and what's required of you to be a good parent. But I want to, to just touch on some things that do, and just three things that we mentioned yesterday in the parenting, that do exasperate children when we as parents desire to speak into their lives. If you want to speak into your child's life, I would put it to you, you need credibility in their lives. If I'm looking for advice and some total stranger strolls into my life and says this and this and this and this, I'm going to look at them and say, and based on what should I listen to you? If you do not involve yourself in your child's life, and that involves time, if you do not make the time, if you do not have the commitment to spend time in your child's life and to get to know them and to let them get to know you and understand who you are, they will correctly say when you suddenly wander in, as this mum that I spoke about at 13 years old and wants to start now changing the way her child lives when she's never tried before to do that because of the social commitments that they had, the child's going to say, based on what should I listen to? We need to build credibility. We have a God-given responsibility that is true. And with responsibility comes authority. All right? It's almost like the flip side of Spider-Man. You know the famous scene in Spider-Man? where the uncle who, who dies is talking to the young Spider-Man and he says, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah? Well, with great responsibility comes great authority. But you can't just go to a child and say, I've got a God-given authority, you need to do this and that. They're going to look at you and say, I don't know about that authority. We need to build credibility in our children's lives by spending time with them. And we talked yesterday about the myth of quality time. There's this phrase which has been pushed into into modern parenting. 
doesn't matter how much time really you spend with them, as long as you spend quality time. And the thought is that if we structure sometimes to be very, very successful in, in, in being with our children, then it doesn't matter that there isn't much other time. But, you know, it, it's sold as a good thing, quality time. Give your children quality time. I, I went on the internet like everybody can, and I looked up the origin of that term, quality time. Who first used the term quality time? And it was first used in a newspaper article in 1973 in Maryland, in America, in an article which was encouraging women to liberate themselves from responsibility to other people and saying, you don't have to spend much time with your loved ones as long as it's quality time. It was always about the person giving the time having more, not about the person receiving it. So if someone says, I don't spend much time with my child, but I spend quality time, I would say that quality involves quantity for a child. To say to little Johnny, who's just come home from being thumped by the lad down the road and is feeling physically distressed, his self-worth and his self-image is damaged and he's scared and saying, son, I realize you're feeling bad at the moment, but I haven't got time to talk to you now. I've booked us for a round of golf on Saturday morning and as we team off, we can begin to discuss the problem. It's not going to solve Johnny's problem then. Your time that you spend with them doesn't have to be perfect. Sometimes it's a moment nipped here and it's a moment nipped there, but if you're going to have credibility, you need to spend the time. You need to make the time, and that involves sacrifice. That involves sacrifice. Children are free, but they cost a lot. They cost time. The second thing that's going to anger and exacerbate them is if you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. You're saying do this and they see you doing the other thing. If you don't want your children to do certain things, if you don't want them to abuse alcohol, you don't want them to poison their lungs with cigarettes, it's not a good thing to sit there with a glass of whiskey and a bag saying, son, I don't want you doing this. That's pretty obvious. But you know, they're not stupid. <laughs> they, they can see through when what we are teaching is not who we are. And we need to teach our values from a place that we live in, a place of, of strength within ourselves. And that sometimes involves sacrifice as well. I can't do this anymore because I don't want my children to do this. They need to have an understanding. We need to com communicate clearly. And along with this, I want to put in my, my favorite topic in terms of parenting. Clearly and consistently. Children are not going to know how to respond to what you want if you aren't clear in what you want. And they're not going to know how to respond to what you want if you aren't consistent in what you want. If you keep moving the goalposts, no, you may not have sweeties after 5 o'clock in the afternoon, except if I'm really hassled and frazzled and I'll give you a sweet to calm you down. Then you can. No, you may not do this unless you whine long enough, then I will change my mind. Dad won't let you do this, but mum will. And when granny comes, she can do anything with you. The grannies amongst us. My mother was very strict. My mum was very strict. I got one warning. One warning, and then the roof fell on me. There was no such thing in my family as wait till dad gets home. When mum was home, if I was out of line, there was trouble. She was a formidable lady. And I loved her and deeply respected her. And then my children were born. And we began visiting at grandma's house. And one day I went to her and I said, who are you and what have you done with my mother? 
I said to her one day, my son could pile all your furniture in the middle of your lounge and set it alight, and you would brag to your friends that it only used one match. <laughs> Grannies and grandpas, don't undermine parents. There's a bit of leeway. There's a bit of leeway. But if children have an inconsistent message, it's no message. And they become frustrated and they get exasperated, especially when they're little. If there is no routine, if there are no set boundaries, if you aren't clear, boundaries are placed in children's lives not to restrict them, but to provide a safe place where they know if I'm operating within these boundaries, this is my safe place. No one's going to give me a hard time. This is where I operate. If you keep moving those boundaries and they don't know and one day they're in trouble and one day they're not, they become frustrated, they become angry. It's a very damaging thing to keep moving the goalposts. And as I said, little ones, I said this yesterday, you, you see it in the way that they react to people. They don't have the vocabulary to go to mum and dad at three years old and say, mum and dad, you're being inconsistent. I don't know what you want. Yesterday you said I could do this. Today you won't let me do it. I'm really frustrated. You need to. They don't know what to do. They just bite somebody or pull someone's hair or shriek. And we need to really speak into their lives in a way that they can understand, in a way that is secure. If we, if we do that, we're placing ourselves in a position where we have more credibility and we have more effectivity and we can parent strongly, but in a way that doesn't exasperate our children. I heard somebody say one day, and I, I don't know, it, it, it may be a flawed premise, but it, it bears some thinking. He said, if you match the amount of discipline that you bring into your child's life, with the amount of love. If you match the amount of love and the amount of discipline you bring into a child's life, you can never be too strict. When there's that imbalance, because that's the last thing I want to say to you, is in all that we do in our families and all we do with our children and with our spouses and so forth, let the guiding factor be what we read about in Ephesians, the servant heart of Christ and the unconditional love of Christ. They're going to mess up. They're going to mess up not because you've done a terrible job and not because they're bad people. They're going to mess up because human nature is imperfect and we make mistakes. And that place of family where you forgive the unforgivable, where you support in a time when you want to walk away, where you, where you love when you're angry, when you hug when you want to walk away, that that's where family becomes that place of growth for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Didn't wait for us to clean up our act. Didn't wait for us to conform and be obedient. Didn't wait for us to meet all the expectations. Didn't wait for us to be top of the class. Loved us while we were still sinners. And thereafter, we've been talking about it for weeks now, the grace of God extends to us the guidance is there. We know how God wants us to live, but He doesn't reject us when we fail. And in our families, we need to have that attitude towards our spouses, our children, our parents. That yes, there is a place where we need to be structured, where we need to know where we're going. We need to be clear, concise, have boundaries and all these things. But there is a place where you just say, you know what? I love you because you're mine. I love you because you're mine. I don't love you for what you do. I love you for who you are. 